Those of you who are here in person and those of you at home, we're glad that you're able to join us to worship this morning. A few quick announcements to share with you before we uh, continue our worship. Um, as most of you know, it's raining outside today, and so we, we only think that uh, fish like to swim in the rain, so we're going to postpone the swim party that was scheduled for today until uh, next Sunday. And if it's raining next Sunday, we're probably going to bowl instead of swimming. So as of right now, that's the, the tentative plan that we have going on. Hopefully you also have seen in the bulletin in the next uh, week or so, we have some exciting events happening here at the church. If you would like to be um, CPR certified, that's going to be in a couple weeks. You can learn a little bit more about that by contacting the office. And then our rally day is on August 29th. So two Sundays from now, 10 o'clock worship with an 11 o'clock brunch. And so we really hope that you'll uh, make an effort to be here for that Sunday as well. Again, we are thrilled that you're here worshiping with us today. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God. Please join me in the call to worship taken from Psalm 24, verses 11 through 14. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Come, let us worship the triune God. Please join me in our gathering song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Therefore, let us corporately confess our sins to God. O Holy One, we call to you and name you as eternal, ever-present, and boundless in love. Yet there are times, O God, when we fail to recognize you in our daily, daily. Sometimes shame clenches tightly around our hearts and we hide our true feelings. Sometimes fear makes us small and we miss the chance to speak from our strength. Sometimes doubt invades our hopefulness and we degrade our own wisdom. Forgive us, Lord, and make us whole. Give us the strength to trust in your gracious care through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only God. Yet we know that he sent Christ for us, who lived with us, who taught us, who died for us, who rose again for us and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where the Apostle Paul reminds us that he prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming, God was reconciling the world to himself, that our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. Our first reading is from John 6, verses 51 through 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. The word of the Lord. May be seated, and at this time I invite the children to come forward for a children's sermon. Good morning. So I have a question for you guys this morning. What do you want to be when you grow up? Nothing? You want to be nothing? How many of you want to be a dog catcher? You want to be a dog catcher? Okay, all right. Two dog catchers. All right, great. So that just leaves you. We've got two dog catchers and a vegetarian. 
veterinarian? You don't know. You have no idea what you want to be when you grow up. Okay, you've never talked about this before? N- never? Nobody? Well, you know what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was a kid your age? What I really, really wanted to do when I grew up? I wanted to be a garbage man. I wanted to be the person that hung on the back of the garbage truck and slung the trash into the truck because I thought that was the coolest job on earth. To the point that I would take all of the cushions off of all of the chairs and the couches in my room, in my parents' living room, and I would fling them onto the couch and I would go around acting like I was picking up trash because I thought that was the most amazing job ever. Now, I didn't get to grow up and be a person that collects trash, and I'm a little bit sad about that because I think that would be a fun job to ride around town on the back of a truck. Do you think that would be fun to just hold on to the back of a truck and ride around town? Yeah, have you seen people that do that, right? They come once a week, right? Yeah, okay. So so that's that's like something that that I wanted to be as my job. But what's my job now? Church. Church, pastor. Okay. So that's my job now. But now so we don't always get to be what we what we want to be when we're little. Sometimes we grow up and we change our mind and we become something else. But what do you think God wants us to be? Do you think God wants all three of you to be a pastor when you grow up? Probably, you think? Okay, that's a possibility. All right. Um, is everybody here that's in church today that loves Jesus, are they all pastors? No, they're not all pastors, are they? They each have a different kind of job. We have school teachers, and we have salespeople, and we have accountants, and we have musicians, and we have people that help other people that are in helping professions, right? We have all kinds of things, scientists and chemists, amazing groups of people that are doing different work, right? And so do you think that's what God wants us to just all go out and get a job, or do you think God wants something more for us than that? More for us, right? And so what I'm going to read here in just a second is a story, not a story, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a town called Ephesus many years ago. And basically what he said was, your calling in life, your job, the thing that you're supposed to do, the thing that Jesus wants you to do, is to love other people. That part of what was just read from John's gospel, that we we take communion, right? When we eat the bread and we drink the wine, we take communion. That makes us be part of Jesus. And then the other thing that we do in life, regardless of what our job is, is to go into the world and be people that love. Okay? So we're going to pray right now. We're going to thank God for the gift that he gave us in communion and the gift that he gave us in our friends who are also Christians, but to give us the courage to be people that grow up to love, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you, and we're so glad that you called us to be people who love other people. Sometimes that is hard, so we need you to help us. So please help us, and we can be people who love people. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down. Our second reading this morning comes to us from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Listen to God's holy word. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every attempt, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, <clears throat> what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all, fulfill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until all us come to the unity of faith and all the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure and the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness, and in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the text that you give us. We thank you, Lord, for the story of your love, of love come down. We ask, God, that you would be with us as we discern this text, meaning this day. And we ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. How many of you enjoy getting phone calls. Some of you enjoy getting phone calls. How many of you actually pick up a phone now if you don't recognize the number that's calling you, right? One person so far, two people, three people will answer the phone if they don't recognize the number. I don't ever, so if I don't know your number yet, you're gonna leave me a voicemail before I call you back, just so you know. It's a full admission going forward. How many of you have ever been called to dinner? Ever been called to dinner, right? That's an expression that I was taught as a child. It was time for dinner. It was, you know, call everybody to the dinner table, right? How many of you have ever called a meeting? We have a, a meeting after church today, right? So session is going to have a meeting. And, and so the next question I have is, what is your sense of call? Just in four little phrases there. Way different ways to interpret four little letters call one of the things that I had to demonstrate before I became a minister was my sense of call everybody that goes through the ordination process in PCUSA has to answer that question what is your sense of call and you can say you're called to the ministry but but what does that really mean maybe we can look at biblical stories such as the call that Abraham and Sarah received or Jacob or Moses Eli and Samuel, Samuel and Saul, Samuel and David, the call of Elijah, the call of Jonah, Jeremiah, any prophet for that matter, Jesus' call to the disciples, or Jesus' call even to Paul. I think these are powerful examples of God calling a person to do something. So when I had to, to come up with something and say my call to ministry looks something like this, I let the people that were on the Committee for Preparation for Ministry in the Philadelphia Presbytery know I don't have a biblical idea of calling. God has never audibly spoken to me in the middle of the night or the morning or at lunchtime or any other time and said, Mark, I need you to do something. That's not happened. I, I wanted it to be true. I, I wanted to be able to be in ministry and to hear this thing, but at the same time, I was scared to death. I didn't want to be in ministry because I hadn't had some kind of like crazy call to ministry experience. And so what it really boiled down for me, the reason that I went through the ordination process was twofold. The first thing was I got through seminary and I started thinking, do I, do I want to become a minister or do I maybe want to go teach in seminary? And so I thought about applying for PhD programs or THD programs. And my wife said to me, you know, I'd like to go back to school too. That was one of the things she said to me. So that kind of was like a hint. Maybe that's not the right thing to stay in school right now. But the second thing that really drove me into ordination was people at my church at the time said, you are called to ministry. 
And so there it was. I did it. I became a minister. And so my call became my vocation. It became my work. It became my job. Some are called to this vocation, to this calling, but some are not. So if you're not called to ministry vocationally, what is your calling? What should we do with our lives? I think right now at this time of the year, students are struggling with what they want to do with their high school career, their middle school career. Kids that are going to college think they know what they want to do, but maybe they'll change their mind when they get there. Do I even want to go to college? What major should I, what should I major in? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? As parents, as grandparents, we might think about, should we, should we send our child to this school or that school? Should I retire here or should I retire someplace else? What are we called to do? The stakes can be very high and we're haunted with uncertainty over deciding what to do. And so I think these questions are understandable. But I don't know that as Christians, they're the first ones we should ask when we consider our call. And I think that's for two different reasons. First, a call for a Christian is not something that we choose or decide. We can no more decide what our call is than we decided when we were born. We didn't get to decide who our parents were. We didn't get to decide much of anything until we got to be about 18 years old, right? It's not that our lives are predetermined or that we have no real freedom. Rather, just that our birth into this world, our unique creation was an incredible gift from God. So also is the call as Christians. It's not a decision. It's a gift. Our freedom becomes an obligation when we assume the burden of deciding what to do with our lives. The freedom that we have, genuine freedom, the freedom to become who God created us and desires us to be, flows rather from our receiving our lives from the gracious hand of God. I think that's the connection to the John text from this morning. What we receive in the sacrament of communion, what we receive in the sacrament of baptism, is then something that becomes a gift to us that has some way to do with our call. We may have to make decisions in particular circumstances, but we nonetheless misrepresent our call if we see it fundamentally as our choice rather than God's gift to us. If we see our call as our choice, we're misunderstanding God's gift to us. I hope, I hope that you heard that. The second thing that comes to do with the call is, and this may come as some surprise that a pastor would ever say this, but as a Christian, according to the Bible at least, it's radically difficult to be a Christian by oneself. Part of what we're called to be as Christians is to be in community with one another. I'm preaching literally to the choir, to those of you that are here right in person or those of you that are watching right now, but part of our understanding as being a Christian in this world is not an independent sovereign state on our own that has a belief that's not dissimilar from another state, right? Like Canada and America, pretty closely aligned, pretty much have the same morals and things like that, same laws in fact. Two unique individual states. As Christians, we're called to be in community with one another because only in community with God and others do we begin to discover what we are called to do. To go back to my call story, if I wasn't part of a community of faith where I was using the gifts that God has given to me, who would have told me that I was called to be ordained? That literally was the push that made me take ordination exams. Other people saying, you're called to this. So I ask again, what is your call? Paul urges us to lead lives worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Whew, that's a lot, right? That's a pretty decent job description of being a Christian right there. Yet in any community, in any family, in a university dorm, in a church, 
the stresses of daily life, the conflict of personalities, minor disagreements, all of those things can add up to make Paul's admonition seem unattainable. When I reread verses 1 through 3, every time I'm drawn to that text, I find myself saying, man, I, I fail on a regular basis. Because as a Christian, that blocks me out in so many ways. We don't like practicing what our denomination calls mutual forbearance with those who rub us the wrong way. We don't necessarily make every effort to maintain unity. Maybe sometimes maintaining unity is more trouble than it's worth. And so in our minds, we think, well, our opinion matters more than our calling. But I would say that most of us lead lives worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Generally speaking, who wants to admit that you're one of the most horrible human beings on the face of the earth? Somebody want to admit that? No. Generally speaking, we think pretty highly of ourselves. At least we think we're nice. Would you want to be your own neighbor? Would you want your neighbors to be similar to you at least in some way, shape, or form, right? Generally speaking, most humans like that. And maybe when I ask the question, what is your calling, which this sermon may be priming some of you to receive a phone call from the nominating committee later this fall, right? (laughs) That could possibly happen, but just... A little bit of foreshadowing. But maybe if you look at verse 11, you say, well, that's not me. I ain't what's in verse 11. If you want to take a look at that again, go ahead. The beginning of verse 12, I think, is maybe the the better understanding of what happens in verse 11. So verse 11, the gifts that he gave us, some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And maybe you say, no, that's not, I'm not called to be any of those things. I don't even like speaking in the grocery store. I'm not going to speak in front of somebody else, right? That's not it. But I think this is where verse 12 comes into play. The reason some are called to that is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the expectation right now is not everybody has to do those things that are literally lined out in verse 11. Not everybody has to be a teacher. Not everybody has to be a pastor or an evangelist or an apostle. Interestingly, in the Greek, it's presbyter, but we'll preach on that a different day, right? So those of us that are Presbyterian, we're kind of called to do something different. My job, however, my calling is to equip you the saints of the church to do your calling. God called some things to be in order in verse 11. Mark or other ministers, other teachers. You are a saint. Now don't make that your Facebook post later. But you are a saint, right? You are the church militant. You are alive. You are breathing. And yes, you have a job to do. It's called ministry. And this Greek word is dianakos, where we get our English word. I'll take you to lunch if you get it. Deacon. Who's to, who am I taking to lunch? All right, there we go, right? So we get the word deacon from this idea of ministry. It literally means table servant. It's someone who is to take the form of a person who serves someone else. It's ministry. The calling of the saints is to be servants that God has sent into the world to serve each other and to serve the world. Why? Verse 12, part B. For building up the body of Christ. The calling of the saints, the Christians, is to be about the ministry, serving building up the body of Christ. And the call of the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip the saints for that work. God has a mission. And God's mission has a church. The church does not have a mission. And I think almost every brick-and-mortar building where Christians meet on this day or any other day misunderstand that. 
the church itself, the building, the place where we come to meet, we don't have a mission. Because when we, when we think of it that way, we're misunderstanding what the church truly is. You are the church. You. 50 years from now, 60 years from now, this building may be a brewery. We have no idea. That's what happened in Pittsburgh. A church died. It's, cut, it's now called Church Brew Works, and more people come there on a regular basis than ever did before when it was a church. And they have beautiful stained glass windows, and as soon as you walk in, you can smell the malt and the barley and the hops. Decent lunch, great beer. We have no idea what this building is going to be used for 50 years from now. However, each of you needs to know and understand and welcome the notion that you, while you're drawing air on this earth, have a calling to serve other people, to be the servant that God has put into a place in this town. That is God's mission. And we are gifted that call. Our call is, in fact, according to Paul, a gift from God with a very specific purpose. And that purpose is fleshed out in our reading today. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. Joined and knit together, working properly together, promoting the growth of the body, which is building itself up in love. In love, in love, in love. What is your calling? Building the body of Christ in love. Now I'm going to ask you to avoid something. I'm going to avoid, I'm going to ask you to avoid the temptation of always being the person who does verse 14. Or doing verse 16. That's the call of the whole church. The call of the Christian, the call, the mission of the Christian, the purpose of the church. Love is our call. And why do we love? Does the Bible tell us? Because he first loved us. So let's love as diligently as we can. Loving God, loving neighbor. And let's not do it out of an obligation. I have to do this because I'm a Christian. I have to love you. Otherwise, I couldn't stand you, right? That's not love. That's honesty, but it's not love. Let's not do it because it's a tradition. Let's not do it because this is something that other people before us have done. Let's not do it for any other reason than we are called to be radically, radically different. We're called to love. So let us love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. It's now time for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us in this life. Lord, we have now returned a portion of these gifts to you. And we ask God that you would open our minds and allow us to see your wisdom and how you would have us use these gifts to benefit your kingdom. All this we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We come to our time of prayer this morning. I have a few things to share with you. First, um, found out last night that Carol Buck has what they think are stones in her pancreas, and she will likely have surgery next Saturday at CAMC. So as we learn more about that, we'll pass that on to you. She let us know that it was okay uh, to share that. And also, uh, this is more of a personal prayer request for me, but, but something that I hope that you can pray for as well. Uh, one of my former uh, youth, uh, kid that I had in my youth group when I was a youth pastor at Milton Baptist, uh, found out very, very recently that he likely has two different kinds of cancer. He is 35 years old and has two very young children. They just came back from a family trip to Florida right before we came back. And um, so it's been a little bit of a gut shot to all of us. Um, so we hope that we get good news from that, but it sounds like he's got a little bit of a journey ahead of him. So um, as I get permission from him, I'll, I'll let you know his name, but please just pray for anybody that's suffering through those things, but especially a 35-year-old young man uh, that's just found out he has pretty extensive cancer. So I'm sure that there are other people in our lives for whom we should be praying. So as we do this today, as we bind our hearts and minds together, let us lift all of our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy God, you are amazing, mysterious, yet personal. We thank you, God, for the gift that you have given to us in the form of calling us your children. 
that we belong to you, that we are yours. We thank you, God, for this great gift. We thank you, God, that you have now let us know that there is something we must do in return, this calling, that you have called us to be part of your kingdom, but also, Lord, called us to be part of this earth that you created, your cosmos, this beautiful, swirling sphere. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to go out of this place that we call our church into the place that you call yours. Allow us to be people who are known by our love. Allow us, Lord, to be called again and again to do your will. We know, Lord, that your will sometimes is difficult, and so we ask God for patience as we learn to do your will. And God, today we pray for those who need for you to be a great physician. We pray for our sister Carol. We pray, Lord, for her upcoming surgery. She could ease her pain, Lord, give her a sense of hope. We're thankful, God, for those in our midst and our families and our friends, and especially here in this place, who have come through successful surgeries these last few months. We pray, God, for continued healing. We pray, Lord, for those whom we love who are undergoing treatment. We pray, God, that they will be fully healed and restored and be made whole. We pray, God, for those who have recently received news of a diagnosis they did not expect. And for their questions of why, Lord, why now? We ask, God, that you would send your spirit upon them, God, and give them a sense of your peace, your presence. We pray, Lord, this day for our upcoming return to ministry. We pray, Lord, for our rally day in, in two short weeks. Pray, God, for everyone who considers himself to be a part of this church that gathers here, that they may be blessed so that they may bless others. We look to that call of Abraham and Sarah, and we know that you called them to be a blessing. And so, God, we assume that same blessing as well, that we may go into this world and bless others. We pray, God, for our future fellowship, for the time that we will spend getting to know one another and to love one another so that we can practice it here in this safe space, so that we go into your cosmos and practice it elsewhere. We pray, God, for everyone who has been baptized in your name, who considers themselves a Christian, who gathers today for worship, Lord, that you would add to the number those who are being brought into the kingdom. Multiply that, Lord. Allow your peace and your love to reign on earth. We pray for our sisters and brothers who gather today out of fear of persecution or suffering, maybe imprisonment or even death. For the silent church that gathers in places like Sri Lanka and Vietnam and China, the Horn of Africa, the Middle East, we pray, Lord, for the persecuted church. And while we do not know them by name, Lord, we pray for their safety. We're thankful for their courage. We pray, God, that as school is beginning in so many locations, that you would be with those who have answered the call to the ministry of teaching. We pray, Lord, that you bless them, that they may bless the children that they teach. Bless our children, Lord, that they may learn and grow into the people that you have called them to be, professionally and ecclesially. God, we pray for our families. We pray for peace. We pray, God, for our president, the leaders of our nations, our state and local leaders, whoever governs over us, we pray, God, that you would be patient with them as well as they learn to listen to your still, small voice. And because we are a community of faith, Lord, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. In the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. God, we ask that you would forgive us where we fail you, where we fail your church. We're thankful for your grace, your amazing grace. We love that grace that your son taught us about. 
We're thankful that you sent your son to earth, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread as we forgive our debts, forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand for our closing hymn, In Christ There Is No East or West. Probably my favorite theologian of all time is a man, a Swiss man by the name of Karl Barth. He was a theologian who was teaching in Germany just prior to the breakout of uh, World War II. In fact, he helped write the Declaration of Barman, which is one of our confessions um, in our Book of Confessions. An amazing man, brilliant man, um, ended up leaving Germany to go back to his homeland in Switzerland, was able to live through the war so we get to, to learn more about him post-war as well. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he is like probably the greatest, in my mind, greatest reformed thinker uh, of the last, well, we'll go at 500 years, okay? Maybe right up there with Martin Luther. But he came to the United States uh, in the 60s. I can't remember exactly what year it was. And so all of these people had these amazing questions that they wanted to ask Karl Barth. You know, they wanted to sit at his feet and just learn from him. And one of the first people that interviewed him was, uh, I can't remember exactly which magazine it is, a terrible way for me to tell the story. But nonetheless, here's the story. They said, Dr. Bart, what is the greatest truth that you have ever known or taught? What, if you could tell Christians one thing, what would you tell them that's the most important doctrine of the entire church? He said, that's pretty easy. Jesus loves me. This I know. Or the Bible tells me so. And I said, that's it. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's it. That's the greatest knowledge that I've ever taught and I've ever known. But the second part of that story is this. Because I know Jesus loves me and because the Bible tells me that Jesus loves me, that means that I have to be like Jesus. That's the call of a Christian is to not be like every other human on earth, but to be different, to be called out of what is normality into something that is just bananas. The one thing about our religion that always is, just trips me up is that we're called to love people. We've rarely gotten that right Christologically. Like, more wars have been started by Christians than many other religions. We're called to love people. How crazy an idea is that? So as you leave church this day, know that you are the church leaving the church, that your call is to love other people as well. Please don't fire me. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or as glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.